the ability to look at a pile of rocks and see a marvelous work of art. God has a vision that he wants you to have. <clears throat> he has a vision of his peace and a vision of his holiness that he wants you and I to have. We may feel at times like we look at our life and at circumstances around us and they look like a broken up pile of rocks. But the Lord sees a work of art that he can develop and will develop out of that pile of rocks if we give him the chance to do that. The vision of his peace and the vision of his holiness. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We have seen as we've been moving through this chapter together that as the Lord began to speak through the writer here to the folks there, he said, we are, the, the journey of life that we are on is like running a race. And we are surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses, the saints who have gone before us. And he outlines a lot of those in the chapter prior to in chapter 11. And they're watching us as we run this race. And we are running this race as a race of faith, trusting in the character of Jesus, knowing it is certain because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, running this race on the promises of God. He says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus is an example of how we should run that race. And then he moves on and he, he tells us, beginning with verse 7, and we saw this last week, that he disciplines us. And the idea of discipline is not punishment. It is not the concept that God's mad and ticked off with us and he can't wait to sort of take us out to the woodshed and give us our spanking for the day. It is rather the idea that he is growing us and maturing us and stretching us and challenging us. And anytime we begin to grow in our walk with the Lord, he's never going to allow us to get to the place where we are satisfied. He's always going to stretch us out even more. In fact, he says that we are to lay aside the sin and the weights that so easily creep into our lives. The sin that clings to our lives, we're to cut from our lives. And he says also in this 12th chapter that we are supposed to lay aside those weights in order to run after him. Now, the weights are not sin. The weights are different from sin. The weights are the things that we have a tendency to pick up as we go down the road of life. How many of us pick up worry as we go down the road of life? How many of us pick up anxiety as we go down the road of life? How many of us have had some weights handed to us and put on us that we necessarily were looking for and asking for and wanted, but we got a weight put in our hands and the weight it drags us down and the weight holds us back and he says, drop it, give it up. You don't have to carry it. I'm not asking you to carry it. Lay aside that weight. Drop that weight. Lay aside the sin that so easily clings to us. Accept God's discipline in our lives. And in so doing, it takes us to verse 14. Pick up the vision that he has. And folks, the better job we do of laying aside the weights and the better job we do of laying aside the sin, the better job we're going to be able to do 
of hearing, seeing the vision God has for us. Beginning with verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now notice how he begins. My sermon outline is containing your Rocky Mountain connection and invite you to follow along with me there. He says, seek or strive for this peace and holiness. The word strive there is an aggressive word. It means to charge after something. And the Greek tense here is a command. He's saying, I'm commanding you to charge after the peace of God, and I am commanding you to charge after the holiness of God. Now, he says that we are to strive for, to run after, charge after peace. What is peace? Everybody talks about it, and everybody wants it, and really none of us know what in the world peace is. Peace in the biblical concept from both the Old and New Testament is not just the absence of conflict. In fact, in many cases, peace begins at confrontation. So it's not just the absence of conflict. The idea of peace in the New Testament goes back to a Hebrew word, shalom. And it's some fascinating aspects of it. First of all, it is the concept of wholeness. In other words, I am whole in and of myself. Down on the inside, I am healed up and I am whole. To use this illustration, if you've got an organ of your body that is not working the way it's supposed to be working, you are not whole. And you will feel like it and you will function like it after a while, if not very quickly. So this wholeness is this idea that everything in my life is healing in a healing process if need be. And I'm whole because of the work of God, the peace of God in my life. Secondly, it is the idea of the healing of wounds. In other words, God's peace means that I'm in a healing process. Now, it doesn't necessarily imply that we go through life and everything is healed up all the time. That would be nice and wonderful, but life doesn't always work that way for us. But it means that we are in a healing process. We are not continuing to take on more and more woundedness. We are getting healed up. It is overcoming what fragments us. All the different things that can fragment our lives and all the things that can fragment relationships in our lives are in that process of healing up and becoming whole. It is a calmness that God works in us. It is a calmness deep inside of us that is stronger than what's ever raging outside of us so that you and I are able to bring a calm presence to situations. We are able to bring a calm presence to other people. Calmness. It is a sense of contentment that comes from the presence of the Lord. I'm content not because everything in my life is going the way that I want it to go. I am content simply because I have a relationship with Jesus that is growing and going. In other words, Jesus is my source of contentment. The things of the Lord are the source of my contentment. Do you know how many people in our society today are living with incredible debt because they are striving after contentment? And they think that stuff will bring contentment. When only Jesus will bring contentment and you don't have to go in debt to get him. He will bring contentment. And so the peace of God is this contentment. And when folks, when you and I are contented, it is amazing how calm we will be. And when we are contented, it is amazing how we can bring that contentment to situations and to people. Now, critical to this peace, he says to strive at, is humility. Pride 
will take us away from contentment. Pride will take us away in the opposite direction of His peace. Humility is God's gift to us, and His discipline often will work in our lives to produce and to further humility in our lives. So let God have His perfect work of producing humility in us. And usually when God has to produce humbleness in us, it is a humbling process by which He produces humility. But humility will produce a calmness. It will produce a contentment. Prideful people who walk in pride are always going to be stirring up something because that's what pride does. I have to draw attention to myself. I have to you know, give one meltdown after another. Everybody got to look at me because I'm the most important guy that's in the room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is the work of pride. Humility is willing to let the other person go first. Humility is willing to let the attention go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you and I work in that humility, we're going to experience some crucifixions. There's some things that are going to happen to us at times that we feel like we are being crucified. And when Paul talked about how I die with Christ daily, picking up your cross, Jesus said, and following him, we're going to go through some crucifixions. And they are not going to be any fun when we go through them. We're going to have to give up some stuff, some lose some stuff, have some difficult times. So let me tell you about this. Whenever God takes you through a crucifixion time, always know there's always a resurrection on the other side of the crucifixion. Anytime God puts something to death in your life, it is because he wants to raise up something of his work and his activity in your life. So move with him through the, the crucifixion piece because there is a resurrection on the other side of it. And resurrection day will always outdo the crucifixion day. So hang in there with him when he's taking you through those difficult times. When you come into situations of conflict in Jesus' ministry, if you read through it, Jesus dealt with conflict all the time, all kinds of conflict. Conflict with the powers of darkness, Conflict with conflicted people, conflict with folks who were going through illness in their lives, you name it. He constantly was dealing with conflict. How did he deal with the conflict? How do you and I bring this peace of God? Number one, read the situation and ask God to give you discernment to read the situation and to read the situation correctly. Number one, he would read the situation. Number two, he would pray over the situation. And when you read in those passages of Scripture about how Jesus got up before way before anybody else did in the morning and went alone with the Lord and he prayed, <clears throat> how he would spend all night in prayer. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was what I like to call praying up so that he was ready for what he was going to face the next day. You see, if I'm not prayed up, I'm not going to be ready to face what's ever coming at me. And a lot of times we get caught in conflict and we respond to conflict with more conflict because we're not ready to face conflict because rarely does conflict come to us and say, hey, I'm coming tomorrow at 11 o'clock, be ready. Have you ever noticed just boom, it's right there in front of your face and we got to figure out how we're going to react to it. Well, if you and I are prayed up, then we are ready. God has already gotten us ready to face the conflict that's coming. And it's not just praying up for one day, okay? He wants to produce within us a calmness of spirit that we carry with us when we have to face it on a regular basis. So pray up. And secondly, excuse me, third, engage the conflicted situation calmly. Can't avoid it, but engage it calmly. And then bring his peace into it. Bring his wholeness. Bring his calmness. Bring his healing into it. 
And he says, I want you to bring, he says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace, he says, with everyone. I don't think what he's saying there is that we're going to be able to get along with everybody. But I do think what he's driving at when he says strive for peace with everyone is the idea that we are in the race together. We are in the race together. And we're not going to complete this race successfully if we just try to do it by ourselves. When I'm striving for peace with everyone, I'm saying, I need you and you need me, and we're going to find a way to get this race through it together. And sometimes we may be gasping for breath, and the other person isn't, so they can jump in there. Sometimes we are stumbling, and, and we can't get through it together, but someone else who's stronger than us can come alongside, or we can come alongside of them. We can get through it together. There's a video uh, that I love to have seen before, and I love to watch it. It's of a Special Olympics race. And one of the runners in the race falls down. And the other runners don't run around them. The runners go back, the other runners, and they pick up their fellow runner, and they wrap their arms around the sh shoulder of the runner that fell, and together they cross the finish line. You see, they don't really care who wins. They want all of them to win. And so the idea of striving for peace with everyone is that our objective is not that I cross the finish line. It's that us as a team, we as a team, cross the finish line together. Again, I want to go back to that example of the human body. Because I think it illustrates peace. But what did he attended? Your body is at peace when it's functioning as it was intended. It's free of disease. It's healthy. All the organs are important. None of you walked in here this morning, at least I hope you didn't, and said to your foot, I don't really need you this morning. You're not important to me. <laughs> Some of us walked in here this morning and said to our brains, you are really important to me. I'm not sure where you are this morning, but you are really important to me and I need you to show up and show up in a hurry. All of our internal organs are of equal importance. And part of this idea of God's peace is that we look at each other and even though we are different, we recognize that all of us are of equal value and equal importance to the Lord, even though we are different from one another. We got to function in a healthy way. Now, what happens if you get sick? You go to the doctor. Well, this day and age, you try to go to the doctor. And the sickness has to be identified, and the sickness has to be confronted, and the sickness has to be treated. How many of us have ever gone to the doctor, and the doctor told us something we didn't want to hear? And gave us a treatment protocol that we did not like? How many of us have ever heard the doctor say to us, you did not follow my instructions. That's the reason you continue to have this problem. Did you take all your medication? Can we talk about something else? And they get on your case about it. See, the idea there is that 
In order for us to have the peace of God in us, God is going to have to confront us, and He's going to confront us from time to time with things in our lives that are causing internal sickness. And sometimes in human relationships, sickness has to be confronted. And none of us likes confrontation. And none of us enjoys receiving it. None of us enjoys doing it. But that's the only way that sickness is going to be removed is that it has to be confronted and it has to be dealt with out of a desire for healing to take place. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, the idea there is a son is what? He's carrying the DNA of his father. And you and I, when we function and we operate as peacemakers, are living out of God's DNA. The DNA that he carries within himself and places in us, we are living out of divine DNA when we are caring about the work of being a peacemaker. But let me also say that when you and I do nothing but create strife, and strife is when we stir stuff up, not for the purpose of healing, but to put attention on ourselves or to get our way or have a little meltdown or whatever, we are acting out of our fleshly DNA at that point. We are acting out of the DNA of what's inside of us from the flesh, from our old carnal, sinful human nature. When I'm carrying out His peace, then I'm acting out of the DNA of the Heavenly Father. Bringing a calm, clean spirit to situations and to people. Now, how do we get to that peace? He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Let's look again. We looked at it last week. I want to go over it again. The holiness of God. What is it? It meant for God to be pure. God's holiness means He is absolute, total purity. His holiness means that He is set apart. He is altogether different from us. He is altogether different from this world. And so it's the idea of the holiness of God is Him being set apart, Him being above and beyond, Him being absolute purity. Now, what does it mean for you and I to strive after that holiness? We're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at a story that bears out what it means to know His peace and His holiness. To be holy, to follow after, to strive, to run after His holiness, means that I run after His purity in my heart and in my mind, that I'm living my life set apart to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to serve Jesus. Now, when we talk about striving for holiness... It's very easy to hear that and just give up. How in the world can you and I strive to have the holiness of God in us and live through us? Well, let me tell you how the Lord sets us up to do this, okay? When you and I come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we accept Him, and we trust Him, and we follow Him, the Bible says that He washes us with the blood of His Son. And when the blood of Jesus washes you, he washes us clean, and he makes us holy by his blood. All right? You and I cannot make ourselves holy. So don't try to make yourself holy. You, you and I would just get disgusted, frustrated, and give up. But we don't have to try to make ourselves holy because the blood of Jesus already did that and accomplished that for us in our lives. My job is to walk and live in the reality of what He already did in my life, in our lives, when He cleansed us and set us free from sin, guilt, and shame by the powerful blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I've just got to learn to live in the reality of what he has already accomplished. Now, how do we live out that holiness that he's made us holy? First of all, we cut from our lives all that works against our relationship with Jesus. Everything in my life that works to corrode and tear down and eat away at my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to take deliberate action to cut it away from my life. I submit to His Lordship. I'm loyal to Jesus. Now, He also knows, again, how difficult that journey is. So what has He done? In addition to making us holy by cleansing us with the blood of Jesus... He has placed the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, folks, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit for a reason. He's not just any spirit. He is a Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us is to do what? To make us holy. And so the Holy Spirit of God is in us. He convicts us of sin. He heals us. He teaches us the Word of God. He empowers us to walk and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to produce the holiness of God in us if we will just submit to the work of the Spirit. That is why the Apostle Paul said, Be filled with the Spirit. When I am filled with the Spirit, I am controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to live in the power of the Spirit, and He's going to make and produce that holiness in us. The Spirit empowers our worship. He empowers us as we engage the Word of God. He teaches us the Word of God. He strengthens us and encourages us as we serve the Lord. And He does all of that to create joy in us. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that creates the joy of the Lord. And notice what He says. He says, you've got to have this holiness. If y'all can bring the verse up on the screen. He says, you've got to have this holiness for a very important reason. He says, without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I want you to cue in on a word there, the word see. No one will see the Lord. What in the world does he mean by the word see there? Two key ideas. First is the word discernment. No one will discern the Lord. It takes the holiness of God to discern the Lord. It takes the holiness of God for me to discern the will of God. It takes the holiness of God for me to discern what God is doing, where God is. You see, so often when we say, well, I just don't understand God's will. I don't have a clue as to where the Lord is at. One of the first questions I've got to ask myself, am I really seeking holiness? Because if I'm living an unholy life, doing my own thing, blowing God off, I'm not going to know the will of God. I'm not going to discern the presence of God. I don't have a clue as to what God's doing. And the problem is not God. It's me. So in order for me to discern where God is and what God's doing, I've got to deal and allow the Spirit of God to deal with the lack of holiness in my life. And I've got to pursue the holiness that He speaks of here. Now... The second idea behind that word C is vision. We will have a vision of the Lord. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about you're going to, you know, go home today and fall back in your chair and go off into another world and see stuff, you know, et cetera. And it's not like you're going to, tonight you're going to overeat on pizza about midnight and then you'll have all kinds of visions all evening long of that. 
One of my favorite shows, this is a quick aside, but one of my favorite shows is CSI New Orleans. And for some unknown reason, I watched it last night before I went to bed, and I led a shrimp in New Orleans last night. I want you to know. I don't know why, but I was leading shrimp when we were in New Orleans. I got up this morning, and I thought, was that a word of prophecy or something? That we're going to New Orleans next year. And I thought, no, that's what I, I watched before I went to bed last night. That's the reason I was in New Orleans all night long. Not a bad place to be, by the way. But anyway, that's where I was in my dreams all night long. That's not the idea of vision here, okay? The idea of vision is that God wants you to have new fresh experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just new, fresh knowledge about Jesus. I can come in here and we can look, go through the Word of God and you get new, fresh knowledge every week. But knowledge and experience are not one and the same. He wants you not only to have new, fresh knowledge about Him, He wants you to have new, fresh experiences about him and please don't be offended what I'm about to say but folks if, if you're in relationship with Jesus you talk about what Jesus did a year ago and 10 years ago that's wonderful but if you and I can't give some testimony every now and then to what Jesus did in the last 24 hours in the last seven days then we got some problems because my experience with Jesus doesn't just need to be 10 years ago or when I came to know the Lord as my Savior my experience with Jesus he's waiting for it to be fresh he's waiting for it to be New. He's waiting for me to be able to say, Jesus did this yesterday. I experienced Jesus in this capacity within the last 24 hours. Because that's how our love and our devotion for Him grow. Listen, if our experience of sin and temptation is newer and fresher than my experience with Jesus, I'm in trouble. Because sooner or later, I'm headed right to what I'm experiencing most recently. But if my experience with Jesus is new and fresh and growing deeper that I'm tracking where I need to track with him. Now, I want to give you a story. I want us to look at the story that Jacob read earlier. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Zacchaeus in this story was the chief collector, chief tax collector in Jericho. In other words, he was the IRS's man from Rome in Jericho. Now, in those days, if you can believe it, they hated tax collectors worse than they do in our culture. And the reason they hated them so bad is that if you were a tax collector, you could walk up to anyone and you could say the Roman government requires X percentage of your salary. And they most of them could live with that. But then as a tax collector, you could say, and I want another percentage for my salary. And you could charge them whatever you wanted. Now, he's the chief tax collector, which would have meant that he was the top of all the tax collectors in Jericho, which meant that he was probably getting cuts from the other tax collectors in Jericho. So he was filthy rich, and he was extorting and defrauding people all over the place. And you couldn't argue with him, because there were Roman soldiers all over the place enforcing the power of Rome. And if you said, I'm not paying your taxes, then all he had to do was point to a soldier and say, lop that guy's head off. He's not paying his taxes. And his heads literally would roll. That was the kind of situation you had in those days. So you can imagine how much Zacchaeus was hated in Jericho. He was extremely wealthy. He would have lived in the top echelons section of town. Filthy rich. And he heard about Jesus and he heard that Jesus was coming to town. 
Notice what he does. He says he was a short guy. I can identify with him. And so he climbs up a sycamore tree to get a good eye on Jesus. You see, with every time that he reached up and grabbed a branch and tried to get higher and higher, he knew that deep inside of him the money and the power and the prestige, there was still emptiness inside of him. He kept thinking, maybe there is something in Jesus that my money and my power hasn't gotten me yet. So he climbed up that tree, and he's looking for Jesus. And Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is up in that tree by divine knowledge. And Jesus walks down the road, and when he gets to that tree, he stops, and he looks up in the tree, and Jesus' eyes lock in with Zacchaeus' eyes. Zacchaeus, I want you to come down quickly. I love the way Jesus adds that. I want you to come down quickly. I'm going to stay at your house today. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, Zacchaeus, I got the peace you're looking for. I got the holiness you need. Come on down. Now I want you to to capture this in the story with me. We talk about the holiness of God and we think it's so remote and it is so far away and it is so impossible. How can I ever get holy? How can I ever know the holiness of God? For Zacchaeus that day, the holiness of God was at the bottom of a tree. The holiness of God was at the bottom of a tree. It was right there. You see, the holiness of God is not remote. The holiness of God is not impossible to get to. And the holiness of God isn't even weird. It's as close as Jesus is. You know, we Christians, we do some weird stuff. We got Jesus right beside us, and we're always out trying to find God. Have you noticed that? I can't find the will of God. And Jesus is going like this. Hey, I'm right here. I can't find the holiness of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm standing right beside you. I can't find the peace of God. And Jesus is saying, what have I got to do? I'm breathing down your neck. And you won't recognize that the peace of God is right beside you. We talk about how we can't understand the Lord. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He gave us four stories from the life of Jesus to show us what God thinks, what God talks, what God's like, how God touches people. If you want to understand God, look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Watch Jesus. Soak up Jesus and you will find what God Almighty is all about. Holiness is right there at the bottom of the tree. Zacchaeus got to make a decision. Am I going to stay up my tree or am I going to come down? How many of us are up in our trees that we need to come down? He comes bounding down out of that tree. And I want you to imagine. Here's old Zacchaeus. Lying Zacchaeus. Conniving Zacchaeus. And he's at that tree. Comes down and gets on that street. And he and Jesus begin to talk. One step after another they talk. And they walk towards Zacchaeus' house. They get to the house, the big, rich house in the rich section of town. Zacchaeus opens the door and he says, come on in, Jesus. And Jesus goes in and Jesus sits down in that house and he acts like he's got all day. Because he had 
all day to be with Zacchaeus. And they begin to talk. Zacchaeus begins to look at Jesus and he's listening to Jesus and he's soaking in what Jesus is saying to him. And as the sun begins to come down, he looks over at Jesus and he stands up. And this is when the peace of God begins to flow out of him to Jericho. He says, half of what I've got, I'm going to give to the poor. How could he say that? Because he doesn't need the stuff anymore to give him security. He's got Jesus. He doesn't need the stuff anymore to make him feel like somebody because Jesus has made him feel like somebody. His identity now is in a follower of Jesus, not in his stuff. He knows that his contentment is in Jesus and not in how much money he can rip off of people. So he says, every half of what I got, I'm going to give to the poor. And if he says, and I've defrauded anybody. And if you could imagine anybody was sitting in a room, have you defrauded anybody? Good gracious. He says, I'm going to give fourfold what I defrauded. In other words, by the time Jesus got through with him and he got through with town, the people in town, there was peace in his life, but there was peace in Jericho. You see, that night in Jericho, people went to bed thinking entirely different about Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was thinking entirely different about them. They weren't people anymore to extort and defraud and take advantage of. They were people of incredible worth and value to him because Jesus changed how he looked at people. The peace of God. And the joy of God exploded through there. Then Jesus smiles. And Jesus sits back and he smiles and he says, Salvation has come to this house today. Verse 9. Catch what he says. Salvation has come to this house today. In other words, deliverance has come to this house. Zacchaeus has been delivered from selfishness, he's been delivered from greed, he's been delivered from insecurity, he's been delivered from the false understanding that his fulfillment was in stuff. Deliverance has come to this house today, and then notice the second thing Jesus says, he is also a son of Abraham. Now what in the world is he saying there? He's simply saying this, he belongs to me. He belongs to me, he is a son of mine now, he belongs to me. Talk about the peace of God when you realize you belong to Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. What are we striving for? Are we striving for the vision of holiness and peace that He has for your life? What tree are you and I up today that we need to come down and meet Jesus at the base of that tree? The holiness of God is as close as Jesus is. The peace of God is as close as Jesus is. We just got to choose to do what Zacchaeus did and walk down the road with Jesus. And let him stay with us. Not visit with Jesus not admire him from a distance, not be a fan of his, but say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. Jesus, come into my home. Fill my life. Fill my home 
with who you are. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today or you're listening in whatever capacity to this service, I would invite you, if you have never asked Jesus to come into your life, if you've never said to him, I will follow you, that this day, you'll do what Zacchaeus did. Come out of whatever it is that you're caught up in. And say, Jesus, today I want to follow you. Jesus, today I want to walk with you. Jesus, today and in all the days of the rest of my life, I want to belong to you. And I want you to deliver me from whatever it is I messed up in. And deliver me, Jesus, to yourself. Just ask him to do that. As we sing in just a moment, I want to encourage you as we sing. just say, Lord, help me to run after, to chase after your peace and your holiness. And if after the service today you want to speak to someone about knowing the Lord Jesus and following the Lord Jesus, I'll be available. Front doors facing Church Street. Jacob's going to be over here at the side door. And uh, he and I and any of our other leaders would love to talk with you about walking with the Lord Jesus. Lord, we praise you and we bless you this day. In your name, amen.